This is the fifth part of a series of the sermons on the sacraments. To do this today, I will be following Frank Sheed's lesson on the Holy Eucharist. So we'll do a quick review from last time. Sanctifying grace is the single most important thing in this life because it is absolutely necessary for our salvation. Without sanctifying grace, we cannot live a supernatural life and we cannot get to heaven, let alone live there. After our Lord fed 5,000 men and their natural hunger was satisfied, they tried to make him king, so our Lord fled from them. Our Lord is not after a worldly kingdom, because he himself said, My kingdom is not of this world. So our Lord tells them what his kingship is all about. He said, I am the bread of life. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life everlasting, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Our Lord means what he says. His disciples thought he was crazy. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So many of them walked away. Maybe our Lord was kidding, or maybe our Lord was mistaken. No, they knew exactly what he meant, and he knew that they knew exactly what he meant. He is not going to deny his own teachings just because people don't agree with it, and so he let them walk away. Then he turns to St. Peter and says, Will you leave me too? Our Lord had placed everything on the line. Although St. Peter couldn't understand this mystery, he says completely on faith, Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't understand this, but I've come to believe that you are God and your words are true. Therefore, I believe, even though I don't fully understand. St. Peter would see this more clearly at the Last Supper when our Lord took the bread and said, This is my body and the wine, and he said, This is my blood. Our Lord gave an oath, a solemn promise to us that he would give us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. Why would he lie about this? He fulfilled his promise at the Last Supper. In the last hour of his life, our Lord was so full of joy that before the Last Supper, he told his disciples, with desire, I have desired to eat this Pasch with you. He desired this because he loved us so much. From all time, he looked forward to this moment that he would give us his body and his blood. St. Peter Julian Amard says, The Eucharist is love and nothing but love. At the Last Supper, Jesus pronounced the most beautiful and the most profound words ever spoken in the history of the world. Words that are as powerful as the creative act of God. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. These same words will be said again here today. Then our Lord gave himself to us in the blessed sacrament, body and blood, soul and divinity. St. Augustine says that our Lord held himself in his own hands when he gave us his body or when he gave his body to the disciples. Our Lord had nothing more to give us now except his mortal life on the cross. 
He had given us everything. The world cannot offer us a lot or attempts to offer us a lot, but it cannot give us everything. We have a chance at having everything. When we are in the state of sanctifying grace, we have a share of everything, a share in the life of God Himself. In Holy Communion, we have God Himself, so we have everything. What greater love could God give us? But there are some who wish to deny this love by saying that our Lord never gave Himself to us in the Holy Eucharist. Many apostates and heretics say that our Lord meant to say, or when he said, this is my body, he meant to say, this represents my body. Well, if he meant that, why didn't our Lord say that? But the church spoke out in defense of this immense love that God has for us in the Council of Trent when she said, open quote, if anyone denies that in the sacrament of the most holy Eucharist, there are truly, really, and substantially the contained body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ, but shall say that he is in it as, a, as by a sign or a figure or force, let him be anathema. What that means is let him be condemned. Let him be condemned for denying the greatness of the love of our Lord. So how does all of this happen? How does the bread and wine become the body and blood of our Lord? On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and wine. This is the matter of the sacrament. If we remember, every sacrament has matter and form, and bread and wine are the matter for the Holy Eucharist. But not just any bread and wine can be used. The bread must be made from wheat and flour, mixed with water and baked. Bread from any other grain or fruit is not permitted, so it is not valid matter, Therefore, there would be no valid sacrament if a priest attempted to consecrate this. It also cannot be mixed with any other fluid except water, because this too is not valid matter. Wine must be true wine from grapes. Liquors from any other grain or fruit are invalid. No valid bread or wine, there is no valid sacrament, period. But the church also requires for the priest that a small amount of water be added to the wine. Now this mixture symbolizes the union of the faithful with Christ. It represents His passion, since water and blood flowed both from the side of our Lord at its institution. And also the Jewish custom was always that a little bit of water was mixed with the wine. And this our Lord did at the Last Supper. Now this is all the matter. The form is the words. And the words are, this is my body, this is my blood. St. Thomas says specifically in the Summa, the third part, question 78, article 2, that the words, this is my body, changes the bread into the body of our Lord. And in article 3, that by the words, this is the chalice of my blood, the change of wine into blood is completed. Now the priest does this act by being a priest and the desire to do what the church intends. If he is in the state of mortal sin, it is still valid, since the sacraments depend entirely upon his office as a priest and not upon his virtue. But if he does offer the blessed sacrament in this case, he commits a sacrilege. But then our Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. This was our Lord's command to continue doing this, to offer the Mass, 
even after he ascended into heaven. Now this whole change of bread and wine into the body and blood of our Lord is called transubstantiation. Now it's a pretty big word, but I know the Council of Trent defined this as follows. That Christ becomes present in the sacrament of the altar by the transformation of the whole substance of the bread into his body and the whole substance of the wine into his blood. All this word transubstantiation means is something changing in substance from one to another. St. Thomas says that the entire substance of bread changes into the body of our Lord, and the entire substance of wine changes into the blood of our Lord. Well, if it changes, how come it still looks the same? What changes is the substance, the thing itself, and not what it looks like. That's the accidents. This is a miracle. Now, it all looks like bread, it smells like bread, it feels like bread. It's still white and it is still round. It hasn't lost any of its appearance. Only the substance has changed entirely. Our Lord is whole and entire in the host and in the precious blood. Even the smallest particle of our Lord, whole and entire, is found in the smallest particle. Now who can receive Holy Communion? Only a baptized Catholic who has reached the age of reason and is in the state of grace. And all that means is you're not aware of having committed any mortal sins. The Catechism of the Council of Trent says, open quote, As all of the sacred mysteries, none can compare with the Eucharist. So likewise, for no crime is there heavier punishment to be feared from God than for the unholy or religious reception by the faithful of that which contains the very author and source of holiness. Close quote, the Catechism of the Council of Trent. We also have to have a pious disposition to receive the Blessed Sacrament. Now this desire to receive must be from a supernatural motive. And what that is, it is motivated by love of God and the desire to grow in holiness. This is why preparation before Holy Communion is so important. Now the right intention must be had before receiving. Now this means that we must receive not out of vainglory or out of human respect, If I don't go, I'll look bad in the eyes of everybody. And then lastly, we must keep the Eucharistic fast. Now, one hour is absolutely mandatory for the reception of Holy Communion. But of course, we're always free to follow the traditional norms, which was three hours in 1962, and before that, the midnight fast. We can do these for reasons of devotion and for reverence. But if you do not hold to the one-hour fast, you cannot go to Communion. Now, the Holy Eucharist is necessary for salvation. These are the words of our Lord. When he said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. For adults, the reception of the Eucharist is necessary for salvation by law. The church has a commandment that under the pain of mortal sin, we have to receive communion at least once a year during the Easter time. And we call that the Easter duty. It is because the Eucharist is food for our soul. And without it, we cannot support the life of sanctifying grace, and our souls will die. That the church makes this a law. It's just like going without food for a long time. Our bodies can't support it, and we will die of starvation. So we need sanctifying grace if we want to get to heaven. St. Thomas tells us that the Eucharist is the highest over all the other sacraments, by reason of what it is. It is not merely an instrument of Christ's grace, but it is Christ himself, the source of all sanctifying grace.
The Holy Eucharist preserves the supernatural life of the soul by giving it sanctifying grace and supernatural life. The Blessed Sacrament gives us power to weaken our sinful habits by deepening charity and strengthening the power of our will so that we can fight the temptations to sin. The Eucharist increases the life of sanctifying grace already present in us by strengthening and confirming us in all the virtues and all the gifts of the Holy Ghost. The Eucharist also cures the diseases of the soul by purging us of venial sins and temporal punishment due to sin. All that is is the time that we'll have to spend in purgatory. And the Holy Eucharist gives us a spiritual joy which gives us the desire to joyfully defend Christ and accept the duties and sacrifices of the Christian life. The Eucharist makes us more like Christ himself. I'll finish up with an example. There was a professor of ours at the seminary who told us about a Jesuit missionary who was once doing missionary work in Africa. Now he was preaching, but he wasn't getting anywhere. He was trying to teach all the, doc- all the dogmas of the faith. So finally he decided to say, well, I'm going to preach on the Holy Eucharist. Now he is preaching here to a warrior tribe. Now this tribe, when they would go to war, they would kill the enemy, of course, that's part of war. But when they found the bravest of the enemies, the ones who have fought the hardest in battle, they would look for them so they could cut out their hearts. And once they tore out their hearts, they would eat them. I would think, well, that's pretty disgusting. But that was what they do because they felt that by eating this part of the enemy who had great virtue and great strength against them in battle, that they too would receive those virtues, that strength that the enemy had to fight them. So this Jesuit said that when he began to preach this, at first he thought, well, I'm not going to get anywhere with the Blessed Sacrament. If they haven't understood this other stuff, this is the greatest mystery in the church. Well, after he explained the Blessed Sacrament to them, it made total sense to them. Simply because they had the understanding of eating the flesh of another with great virtue and great holiness or great strength in their character, they too would obtain their virtues. Well, this is what happens to us when we receive the Blessed Sacrament. We receive our Lord, body and blood, soul and divinity. We receive all his virtues, all his strengths, all his gifts. These warriors understood it, so it shouldn't be too hard for us who have faith to understand this. St. Peter Julian Amard says that all virtues come from God, and it is from the Eucharist above all that Jesus causes them to stream into our souls in a flood of grace. So let us do a quick review. Sanctifying grace is the single most important thing in this life. Sanctifying grace is absolutely necessary for salvation, because without it we cannot get into heaven or even live there. The Holy Eucharist increases the life of sanctifying grace already present in us by strengthening and confirming all the virtues and gifts of the Holy Ghost. We should be in the state of sanctifying grace if we wish to receive communion. That is, we're not aware of any mortal sins on our soul. If we receive with mortal sin on our souls, we commit a sacrilege. The sacrament of Holy Eucharist is the highest over all the sacraments because we receive the source of grace. Our Lord, Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. The Holy Eucharist strengthens us in sanctifying grace and gives us the power to weaken our sinful habits and gives us a greater love. And by strengthening our wills to fight, temptations to sin and this sacrament is necessary for our salvation because it gives us the nourishment and the strength to live a life of sanctifying grace 
and to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, which tries so hard to strip it all away from us. May God bless you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.